I think as I look at our culture, I think it's clear that our culture is in dire need of joy. I mean, just, just think about it in like your own personal life. The number of people that you know who consistently live a, a life of and they express joy. Right? Consistently. Not occasionally, but that's just the characteristic of their life. Okay, so think about that, that group of people. But at the same time, also think of the number of people that you know who consistently live a life of and, and express anger and discouragement and fear and just a general sense of unhappiness. And again, this is not just occasionally, but we're talking this is the, the norm for their life. Now think about those people and, and is the joyful people, is that number bigger? Or is the number of angry, discouraged, fearful, and generally unhappy? Is that the bigger number? I mean, if social media is any indicator of our culture and the where people are, then huge numbers of people all around us, they live lives consistently angry, consistently discouraged, consistently fearful, and, and just generally unhappy in life. And that's sad. It is really sad. And it's even sadder, I think, that we, in our world, we have accepted the way that this is. That that's just the way it is. That that's, that that's normal. That that is the way it has to be and it's never going to be any different. I mean, just think about almost the contrast of it. We live in one of the wealthiest nations in the world. We live in a time of the greatest technological advances in history. As a general rule, we have more of everything than any generation before us. We have more money. We have more regarding our homes. We have more clothes. We have more food. We have more free time. We have more education. We have more opportunities. And yet, in the midst of all of this more, Huge numbers of people are, are miserable. And they have accepted that this is all there is to life. Anger, discouragement, depression, fear, and just a general sense of unhappiness. And these aren't like what you might call dirty, wicked, unbelieving sinners either. Sure, some of them are. But among the number of people who live angry, discouraged, fearful, unhappy lives. Many of those are disciples of Jesus. And I'm not even talking like nominal believers. I'm talking devoted followers of Christ. And yet they live angry, discouraged, fearful, and unhappy. And they've accepted that that's the way it is. That's all there is in life. And they do that despite the fact Jesus Himself said He came to give us life and life more abundantly. Does a life that consistently is angry sound like a life that is abundant? Does a life that is consistently discouraged sound like an abundant life? Does a life that is consistently driven and guided and overwhelmed by fear seem like a life that is the abundant life Jesus came to give. Is a life that is just generally unhappy. Does that sound like 
the abundant life Jesus said He came to give. It shouldn't, because it's not. This is not the way Spirit-filled, Spirit-controlled disciples of Jesus are meant to live. It's not the way that we have to live. There is a better way according to Scripture. Open your Bible to Galatians 5, 22-23 as we look again this week at the fruit of the Spirit. It's page 893 if you have a pew Bible. I'm just going to read these two verses. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, and against such there is no law. And tonight we're looking at joy. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love You tonight. You are great and awesome. You are worthy of our praise and worthy of our devotion. And Lord, we, we do live in a culture in which people are just generally unhappy. And Lord, it seeps into us as well. For really it seems that, that a lot of what goes on in our culture, a lot of what is promoted is, is meant to cause anger. It is meant to cause fear. It, it is meant to discourage. It is meant to make us unhappy. And that seeps into our lives. And it is so easy to accept that this, this is who I am. This is my character. This is just the way it has to be. And yet when we look at Your Word, we see something entirely different. We see that when the Holy Spirit is filling us, when the Holy Spirit is controlling us, that He produces a joy in our life. Father, we want to be a joyful people. We want to live the abundant life Jesus came to give. So tonight as we look at what, what Your Word has to say about joy, Father, give make something rise up within us that says yes. This is the way it's meant to be. Yes, this is the way I want to be. Yes, I'm going to do whatever I have to do. So that the fruit of the Spirit of joy will be abounding in my life. Guide me tonight and give me clarity of thought and clarity of speech. Help me not to be a hindrance in any way to what you want done. We ask all of this in the name of Christ our Savior. Amen. So we see when we are living a Spirit-filled, Spirit-controlled life, we will be joyful. Every disciple of Jesus can and should be a, a joyful person. So our goal tonight, it is to, to understand what it means by joy here, and then to see what it is that we need to do so that we can cultivate this joy in our life. Now there are Three characteristics of joy that we find in Scripture. First is that is joy springs from faith in Christ. Now that should make really good sense because everything rises and falls on our connection to Jesus. Eternal life, salvation, <coughs> our relationship with the Father, being Spirit-filled, the Spirit living within us, abundant life, hope, purpose, everything. Everything, everything, everything always rises and falls on our connection and our faith in Jesus. This includes hope. Now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace. Notice this, in believing that you may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost. Now, we're going to look at a lot of verses tonight. We're going to have time to look at any of them really in depth. Uh, but you can go back and study them out to see more of what it's talking about. But notice that the God of hope fills us with all joy through faith. Right in believing. Now, the picture of being filled with all joy is is really a good picture because 
it pictures the, the joy filling us completely, that the joy of the Lord fills us completely in our life. Right? Not that there's a little bit of joy, but there's almost like an overabundance of joy in our life. Remember, like the psalmist says in Psalm 23, that my cup runneth over. That, that's the picture. That there is that kind of a joy, an overflowing joy in our life. So our faith in Jesus, it enables us to have a deep and abiding and overflowing joy in our life. Now, it's not just here that we see the connection between faith in Jesus and joy, but Peter writes about it as well. Whom having not seen you love, <coughs> in whom though now you see Him not yet believing, you rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. But again, faith is the connector. But notice, I love the word. Um, we sing a song about joy unspeakable and full of glory. Uh, and that is, the, I love that wording, that picture of the kind of joy that Jesus can produce in our lives. It is a joy that is unspeakable, right? And what that means is we cannot adequately express what kind of great and overwhelming joy Jesus gives us. And it is full of glory, right? It just keep, makes us point to God and to love Jesus and to seek to, to serve Him most of all. Now, the joy that this brings, it is a, an amazing joy because it doesn't fail us when we need it the most. Right? When we go into dark and difficult times, the joy of the Lord is just as present and just as real in those times. In fact, this verse... It comes at the end of Peter talking about them going through deep and fiery trials. So in the midst of deep and fiery trials, he says that because they believe in Jesus, they can rejoice with joy unspeakable that is full of glory. How can the joy of the Lord, the joy that the Holy Spirit produces, how can it be there in these kind of times? That's because... Joy is supernatural. Joy is supernatural. There is a difference between the joy that the world can give and the joy that God can give. The joy that the world can give is more of a temporary pleasure than any sort of an abiding joy. The joy that the Lord gives, it is supernatural. And the fact that it's supernatural... Is, is possibly, in my mind, the most important characteristic of this joy. Right? Because the joy that the Lord gives us, it, it doesn't come from anything in this life. Therefore, nothing in this life can take it away. The joy that the Lord gives us, it is the product of our faith in Jesus and the filling and dwelling and work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. We see that here. That the fruit of the Spirit is joy. But over and over again in Scripture we find that you became followers of us and the Lord having received the Word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Ghost. So in Thessalonica, when Paul went there, preached the Gospel, the people repented of their sins, they believed in Jesus Christ, and in the midst of their faith and turning to Jesus, they began to suffer. They began to suffer deeply simply because they were turning to Jesus. Yet in the midst of that affliction, they had a supernatural joy that came from the work of the Holy Spirit in their life. 
Paul will write in Romans that the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. Both of those are basically saying the same thing in different ways. Joy is not something that we work up. Joy is not something that the world can give us. Joy is not something that this world has to offer us. It is something that God gives to us. It is something supernatural and not natural. And it primarily comes through the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And since the joy of the Lord is supernatural, then joy doesn't depend on circumstances. Joy does not depend on the circumstances of our life. And in my mind, this is the greatest way we see that joy is supernatural, is that it doesn't depend on circumstances. As I said, the joy of the world, it almost totally depends on circumstances. And when we are depending on the world for our source of joy, there will always be a nagging doubt that this is the best there is. There will always be a, is this really all that there is? There will always be a nagging fear that at any moment something can come along and take this away. Because when our joy is in the world, any number of things can happen and come along and take our joy. Right? If our joy is in the world, it only takes one bad doctor's visit to lose it. If our joy is in the world, it only takes one tragic death to lose it. If our joy is in the world, it only takes one investment going bad to lose it. If our joy is in the world, it only takes one bad phone call from our child's teacher to lose it. If our joy is in the world, it only takes one cranky person in our day to steal it from us. The joy of the Lord is very different than this. James says that we should count it all joy when you fall into divers' temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience, but let patience have her perfect work, that you may be perfect, entire, and wanting nothing. Right? Consider suffering, divers' temptations. The temptations there refer less to sinful temptations and more to the fiery trials of life. And James says to consider it all joy. When that happens, that is a a strange sounding statement. That is odd. That is very counter to our current cultural mindset. Does God expect that we can have joy even in the midst of the hardest circumstances? Yes. And, And not just here. Romans, Paul writes something very similar. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And not only so, but we glory in tribulation, knowing that tribulation worketh patience. He goes on and talks about almost the same sort of thing that James talks about there. But the idea that there is joy of the Lord even in the tribulations. And I love this passage because it shows how different Disciples of Jesus are meant to be from the rest of the world. But the joy of the world that it can have apart from Christ, it does not go with them in the fiery trials. It does not go with them in the hard and difficult times of life. 
But the joy that the Lord can give us as His disciples, as believers in Jesus who are filled with the Spirit, is a joy that is there in the middle of the suffering, the hardships, and the trials. I mean, Paul would write in 2 Corinthians that, that we are always joyful even though we are suffering. Right? So it's not a, a rose-colored glasses where we act like things aren't bad. It is a very real, things are terrible, this hurts, this is awful. And yet, there is a joy I can't express, maybe even probably can't even explain that I have. It is a supernatural joy of the Lord that is with us even in the worst of times. Think about the apostles in the book of Acts. They were taken, how many times were they taken, arrested, accused of bad things, Beaten and set free. How, how did they, what did they do when that happened? Did they walk out whining and crying and feeling sorry for themselves? Did, did they walk out and say, I'm done, no more. I'm through with this whole Jesus thing. Well, the Bible says specifically that they were rejoicing. That they were counted worthy of suffering for the name of Christ. Rejoicing because they were worthy of suffering for Jesus. Or Paul and Silas in a Philippian jail, horribly beaten, locked in the, inner, in the inner cells. What did they do? They were singing and praising God at midnight, and the Bible says, and the other prisoners heard them. The, joy can't, the, the world can't give you a joy like that. That is a supernatural joy that comes through faith and because of the Spirit. And that faith, that sort of joy, it is available to you and I. Right? The apostles didn't have that because they were super Christians. They didn't have that because they were apostles. That sort of joy is, you could almost say, that is the birthright, the new birthright of every born-again child of God. Now, if that's the kind of joy we can have, how do we have it? Well, now, clearly, the Holy Spirit produces it. So we, we always want to acknowledge that this is a supernatural joy. The Holy Spirit produces it. We saw that over and over again. But, as we mentioned two weeks ago when we first started this study, every aspect, every character trait mentioned in the fruit of the Spirit, the Bible gives us what we're to do to cultivate it in our lives. So how do we cultivate joy in our lives? Well, first... Meditate on your salvation. In the Gospels, Jesus sends out 72 disciples and He sends them out two by two to go to the towns where He was planning to visit. When they, they went, they were to preach about the kingdom of God. They were to cast out demons. They were to heal the sick. And when they came back, they were rejoicing that even the demons were subject to them in Jesus' name. Now, that would be a big thing, right? I mean, casting out demons, healing the sick. You, I can see, whoa, that was awesome. And look at what Jesus says to him. Notwithstanding, in this rejoice not that the, de- that the spirits are subject unto you, right? Don't, don't rejoice in the healings and the deliverance. Rejoice that your name is written in heaven. And I think as believers, it is easy for us to get so used to being saved, we forget all that went in to our redemption. 
It is easy for us <coughs> to, to not really think long and deep about what happened to make our salvation possible. I mean, God, the, the great and the awesome God of the Old Testament, the God of Isaiah 6, He, he left the glories of heaven. And He came to earth in the person of Jesus Christ. And He lived a, a sinless life. And He did great miracles. And he, he taught wonderful things that were meant to guide us in our lives. And for the good that He did, He was rejected. He was beaten. He was, he was abandoned by His closest disciples. He was crucified. And then He died. And then when that was all done, He... He rose again on the third day to prove He was true in who He said He was and what He said He can do. And in all of that, that was done for us. Right? What He endured on the cross was for your sin and mine. I mean, that, that, is, that is amazing. Who would you die for? Who would you suffer a horrible death for? I bet that's a short list. And yet Jesus did that for you and for me. It is amazing that our Creator would do all of this for His creation. One of the ways to, to meditate on it is to like read Isaiah 53 and personalize it. Put your name, put you in it somehow. Like in my Bible. I went through Isaiah 53 and I, and I wrote it this way. I, I put this in, in, my, in my margins of my Bible. He was wounded for my transgressions. He was bruised for my iniquities. The chastisement of my peace was upon Him and with His stripes I am healed. But I did that so that every time I read it, I'm reminded that was for me. For my sake. To purchase my redemption. To make sure there was no condemnation for me. To make it so that I could be adopted by God as His child. That I could call Him Abba Father. That I would have free and unhindered access to God. That I would live in this life with a glorious hope, knowing that one day He's returning and He's returning for me. And He's taking me to a place where there is no sin, there is no sorrow, there is no death, there is no parting. Where all that's wrong in this world will not exist any longer. And that's just a, a few of the wonderful things we receive that, that happen when we're saved. Meditating on the fact that God did that for us should cause us to, to build, it should start building a supernatural joy in our life regardless of the circumstances. Secondly, spend adequate time in the Word and prayer. In John 15, Jesus tells the story of the vine and the branches. And I'm sure we're all familiar with that passage. And He goes on to explain to them that if they are remain connected to Him, they will produce much fruit for God's glory. And after explaining this to them, He says, These things have I spoken unto you, that My joy might remain in you, and your joy might be full. The next chapter, 
But a few chapters later, he prays his great high priestly prayer. And as he prays, he says, And now I come to thee, and these things I speak in the world, that they might have my joy fulfilled in them. In both these passages, Jesus says that what he told the disciples, he told them so that they would have joy. But now, for us, what that would mean, that would be the Bible. But His Word would be here. The Word of God is meant to be something that would cultivate joy in our lives. And again, there are lots of other places we could look at. Psalm, Psalm 119 especially, you see this kind of a theme over and over again. Jeremiah specifically said that he, he found God's Word and he devoured it. It was a source of joy for him. God's Word is, is meant to be something we go to to find and to cultivate joy in our lives. And it's not just the, the Word, but also prayer. In John 16, Jesus was preparing the disciples for His departure, and He taught them about prayer. He says, in that, day at, in that day you shall ask Me nothing. Verily, verily, I say unto you whatsoever you shall ask the Father in My name, He will give it to you. Hereto you have asked nothing in My name. <clears throat> ask and you shall receive that your joy may be full. Now, I'll use the word and prayer together here because to me I think it's, it's neat how what Jesus says. Because if you're like me, when you are angry, discouraged, fearful, just generally unhappy, one of the last things you want to do is spend adequate time reading your Bible an adequate time pray. Right? When, when though, and I know all of those feelings. I know all of those thoughts very well. And when I am going through the periods where I am discouraged, I am angry, I am fearful, I am just generally unhappy, it is difficult for me to study my Bible and to pray. And yet... What Jesus said was, those two things will help cultivate joy in my life. You could almost say that in the times where we don't want to read our Bible, in the times where we don't want to pray, those are the times we need to do it the most. That Word, spending time in the Word, spending time in prayer, cultivates a joy in our lives because it, it draws us closer to Jesus, draws us closer to God. And the closer we get to Him, the more we experience the fullness of His joy. So we want to spend, meditate on our salvation, spend adequate time in the Word and prayer, and then be with other believers. Turn to 1 John chapter 1, page 941. John says, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, our hands have handled of the word of life. For the life was manifested, and we have seen it, and bear witness, and show unto you eternal life, which was with the Father, and is manifested unto us. That which we have seen and heard, we declare unto you, that you may also have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship 
is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And these things write we unto you that your joy may be full. Now, 1 John was written um, to deal with heretical teaching that was spreading through Asia Minor. It, the teaching that was going through would be very similar to our New Age movement. And John wrote this book in part to help them reject these false teachings, to help them to know for sure that they were saved. Now, he, he spends the first few verses explaining to them that he knows what he's talking about. Right? When he tells them about Jesus, it's not a story he heard. He saw Him. He touched Him. He was with Him. He, Jesus isn't someone John knows about. Jesus was someone John knew. And since he knew Jesus... He could accurately and, and properly testify about Him. Then, in verses 3 and 4, He says why He's telling them this. That they would have fellowship with Him, and truly, His fellowship was with the Father and with the Son. I love that picture. right? Because what He's saying is, right now, you've walked with us. But you're thinking about making a decision that will take you away from us and out into something else. And if you stay with us while you walk with us, you're not just walking with us, you're also walking with God the Father and with Jesus Christ. And I'm telling you this, in verse 4, so that you will have joy. Right? Because if you stay with us, and if you stay with Jesus, you will have joy. And to me what this does is this reinforces the fact we need each other. When we are discouraged, angry, fearful, or just generally unhappy, we tend to pull away from other people. We tend to isolate ourselves, especially from other believers. We isolate ourselves from the life of the church. And this is the opposite of what we're supposed to do. I mean, I've mentioned before, I'm sure, but we know that First John or First Peter five refers to Satan as a roaring lion. As a kid, my dad made me watch what Mutual of Omaha's Wild Kingdom. If you ever had to watch a nature show like that, you know that the way the the lions hunt is they separate an animal from the herd, and once it's separated from the herd, it is only a matter of time until the thing is destroyed. So. Jesus comes to give us an abundant life. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus has said that the church is His and he, the gates of hell will not overcome it. And Satan comes to attack the church. The Scriptures say that when we walk with one another, we're also walking with God. And yet, in a time of anger, fear, discouragement, and unhappiness, there is a feeling within us to separate from the crowd. Where do we think that comes from? Who do we think it is telling us, don't go to church, you're too angry, you're too tired, you're too discouraged, you're too afraid, that all of these things, you should just stay home and watch Desperate Housewives. Who is keeping us from the life of the church? God or the enemy who seeks to destroy us? God does not intend for us to separate in those moments of discouragement, those times of anger, that, that feelings of unhappiness in those moments where we're afraid. It is in those moments we need each other the most. It is in that time that we need our brothers and our sisters to rise up and fight for us in those times where we do not feel we can fight for ourselves. And as 
We gather here. Sure, God is omnipresent. He is with us all the time, everywhere. But make no mistake, there is something special about gathering with your brothers and sisters in Christ and worshiping the Lord and crying out together in prayer and studying His Word. There is an element of His presence here that does not happen when we stay home and watch desperate housewives because we're angry, discouraged, fearful, or unhappy. We need to be with other believers in order to cultivate the joy of the Lord in our lives. Because as we walk together, we walk with the Lord. And that produces joy. And then finally, minister to others. So meditate on your salvation. Spend adequate time in the Word and prayer. Be with other believers. Minister to others. 1 Thessalonians, Paul writes, to encourage the church to stay faithful in Christ. And as he does, he writes to tell them what they mean to him. And I love this verse. These verses. For what is our hope or our joy or our crown of rejoicing are not even ye in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ at His coming. For ye are our glory and our joy. Part of the reason that Paul had joy in his life was the time he spent ministering and serving others. Paul knew his ministry. It had an eternal significance in the life of those that he served. To know that God had worked through him to save some, to help others overcome temptation, to help another mature in the faith and become a fully devoted follower of Jesus. These thoughts, this knowledge, it gave him joy. He had helped these people know Jesus and live for Jesus and encouraged them to be faithful to Jesus. And when he thought that he would see them in heaven with Jesus, this was a source of joy for Paul. And I love his wording, right? What is our crown of rejoicing? Is it not you in the presence of Jesus Christ that is coming? Right, so what the picture is, the return of Christ And Paul at that moment will have something to rejoice in. Something to, you could almost say glory in. What would that be? Would it be the books he wrote? No. Would it be the churches he started? The churches themselves? No. Would it be the tents he built? The trips he took? No. It would be the people he helped. It would be the people that were there because of His work and God's work through Him in that time to serve them. When Jesus comes back, what would be our crown of rejoicing? It's not going to be in the stuff we've built or the stuff we've bought or the places we've gone or the fun we've had. It will be the people we've had. The people we've helped come to know Christ. People we've helped live for Christ. Remain faithful to Him. There is great joy in knowing that we have had an eternal impact on someone's life. There's joy in knowing someone will not not suffer the flames of judgment, as Jude says, because we have worked to snatch them from that. There is joy in knowing that we have helped move someone beyond the basics of Christianity till they are mature believers and disciples of Jesus Christ. There is joy in knowing that God has worked in us to accomplish His will in the world. Something that is bigger than us. Something we could not have done. There is always joy 
in ministering to others. The reality, a life that is not that does not serve others and does not minister to others, it, it is not a joy-filled life at all. God has created us, and especially those of us who are saved, to not just do for us, but to do for others. And when we do what God has wired us to do, there's joy, there's glory in that. So we have to minister to others. Now, you may have noticed that as we have gone through this, this list on what to do to help cultivate joy. It's not real deep stuff, is it? I mean, it's not revolutionary. It's, it's all basic Christianity, right? Think about your salvation and what Jesus did. Pray and read your Bible. Go to church. Be with other believers. Serve. I mean, none of that is new information. None of that is stuff we don't know how to do or we've never heard before. It is extremely, extremely basic. And I think that is kind of the point. But I I think there's a couple of reasons for this. I think God, when we look at joy and we look at like our world that is angry and discouraged and fearful and unhappy, and it's easy for us to say, well, that's, that's just what, that's the way I am or that's the way it is. I don't think there's any way to have joy. And yet God points out this really simple thing. Really simple steps we can take that would help cultivate and develop joy in our lives. God's saying, it's not difficult. It's not beyond you. It just takes you putting forth that kind of effort. And yet what we can do is, because it is so simple, we can push away from it. If, I mean, if I were to write a book on what I talked about tonight, nobody would buy it. But if I were to write a book on cultivating joy and give some sort of weird, difficult principles that no one had ever heard of before, and that you kind of had to stand on your head in order to do, and, and it was just really strange, people would buy it by the millions. Because we want to do really difficult things. We want to do really hard things. And the reason for that is if we do the really hard things we have joy. Who who did it? I did it. I did it. But if I do something this simple and suddenly I'm filled with joy, that wasn't me at all. It really is supernatural. It really is the work of the Holy Ghost in my life. I think a lot of times we can be, if we're not careful, like General Naaman of the Old Testament. Remember him? He was a leper. And he went to Elijah or Elisha to be healed. And he was told, go dip in the Jordan River seven times and when you come out, you'll be healed. And he was furious. Furious. He was, he was a great man. He was a great hero. He could do big things and there are cleaner rivers in the Jordan in Syria where he came from. And one of his servants said, but, but Master, if he told you to go do some really big thing, you would go and do it. Why not try this really simple thing? The Bible says that when he dipped in the Jordan River seven times, 
He was healed. Let's be, let's not be like Naaman. Let's not look at this and say, well, that those things are so simple they can't really work. Let's determine we're going to do the basic things. We're going to do them with the right attitude. We're going to do them in faith. Believing that when we do what God has said, God will do what He has said. Let's not trip over the basic simplicity of these actions. Let's not embrace the world's mindset that joy is not attainable. That we have to be angry. That we have to be depressed and discouraged. That we have to be fearful. That we have to be generally unhappy all the time. That is not the abundant life that Jesus came to give us. Let's choose to believe that what the Bible says is true. And what the Bible says will do. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love You tonight. You are great and awesome. You are worthy of our praise and worthy of our devotion. We, we want the joy of the Lord the Bible speaks of. We want a joy that comes through Jesus. We want a supernatural joy. And we want a joy that is not dependent upon our circumstances. Help us tonight to do these basic things that You have said to do. And as we do them, let us do them with expectation. And as we do them, God, begin to work and produce joy in our lives. Let there be a joy that conquers our anger. Let there be a joy that conquers our discouragement. Let there be a joy that conquers our fears. Let there be a joy that conquers our general sense of unhappiness. Help us never to accept that we have to live less than what Your Word says is true and what Your Word says we can have. Give us joy, we ask in Jesus' name.